Do you like retro video games? Then you should check out the Nerd Cave Retro on Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you can find podcasts. If you like the show, then you can join the Discord by going to the Nerd Cave Retro Twitter page and click the link at the top of the page. If you like the Open Micers podcast, but you think I'm too handsome, check out the Jester's Court podcast hosted by my fat twin, Mr. Mike Evelyn found wherever podcasts are given away for free. Dead Game is the new podcast where award-winning comedy writer Wally Phelps and award-seeing comedy sidekick Carlos Longoria (laughs) use their powers of necromancy to resurrect failing or long-suffering game franchises. From Fortnite to Rock Band, D&D to Double Dragon, listen to Dead Game, where games go to get good. We also want to shout out our other patrons, Mr. Derek Diamond and old Rob himself, Mr. Robbie Hennig. I'm Jacob Craig, and we've got another good one for you guys. We have another accredited comedian coming to the Open Markers <laughs> podcast tonight. He has worked on the Howard Stern show. He has worked with Comedy Central, writing Comedy Central roasts. He has performed at some of the biggest clubs in New York City and in Florida. Please welcome to the show none other than Mr. Neil Berliner. How are you doing, sir? Hey guys, how you doing tonight? Doing good. Great, dude. thank you for joining us. We are very excited to have you here. Yes. You've been doing comedy for 30 years and I've been alive for 22, so I'm sure you can <laughs> oh my God, give us got, some good I advice. I got two kids older than you, Jacob. <laughs> You've got two kids and a whole career older than me. <laughs> you probably have a pair of socks older than me somewhere. Yeah, not just one. Yeah, yeah I got. <laughs> I have underwear older than Jacob. That's it. <laughs> You should probably wash it by now. Well, I'll tell you, though, it keeps you young to be involved in comedy because, you know, guys my age don't talk to people your age unless you're doing something, like, uh, fairly cool. So, you know, keep definitely keep you young to be in this business, you know. So take us back to the beginning. What kind of, uh, what drew you into comedy, stand-up comedy and writing? I was always kind of a funny kid. I wasn't, like, the class clown. I didn't uh, cause trouble or anything because... Uh, you know, I grew up in Brooklyn and from a Jewish middle, lower middle class family. And if you're from that background, you know, you have to become a medical doctor, which I did become. And you can't fool around too much in school. But I was kind of like the guy in the back of the room who would make the snarky comments about people and get other people in trouble, but not to get myself in trouble, you know, as opposed to the real class clown. But I always knew I had some kind of skill at, at, at writing uh, jokes. Matter of fact, this morning, one of my friends I saw, he had on Facebook, he posted that he got a joke in Reader's Digest. And I didn't even know that Reader's Digest still existed. You guys may not even have have heard of that thing. But but it was an old magazine. I remember when I was like, even like five or six, I would read Reader's Digest and they had two joke columns in it. One One of them, I think, was called Campus Comedy or something. The other was Military Jokes and stuff. And, uh, so it still exists. So now one of my goals is to get a joke into the into the Reader's Digest. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I do, read... I've done Mad Magazine, but I got to get Reader's Digest. Yeah, I used to read those too, those joke columns in Reader's Digest. My parents used really? to get it. Yeah, when I was so were kid. those the one? Were there any others besides those? It was I remember this college and military stuff. Uh, those were the those two people... I remember. I don't remember. I know they had some more, but I don't remember exactly what the the theme was. Uh huh. Yeah, I'm gonna have to check that out. But you work for Man, Mad try- Magazine. That's that's insane. Mad Magazine is okay. Mad Magazine is like of all the things I've done, the thing I went most nuts about was when I got this text from Mad. Well, what happened was I was teaching a comedy course in New York um, for the Pit. It's called People's Improv Theater. Mm-hmm. And I was teaching their joke writing course for a few years. Then one of my students, I'll give him credit. His name is Evan Waite, W A I T E, and he's written for lots of stuff. He's written for. Uh, Unbreakable, uh, Kimmy Schmidt, and uh, wow. um, you know, the President Show and Mad Magazine. So, anyway, he invited me. There was a, a meeting for new writers for Mad Magazine. They wanted to get some new blood in there a few years ago. And so, I went to the meeting. And a few months later, I was lucky enough to get a text saying that you are now a member of the gang, uh, the 
think what's it the usual uh, i'm sorry i'm sorry it's the usual gang usual gang of idiots yeah the usual gang of idiots and so i so i get this text i'm in the parking lot in a, su- a supermarket parking lot and i start screaming oh yeah and these two teenagers walk up by me and go this guy's out of his mind. what's going on with this guy and i had to explain to them what, what it was all about and they so, go, oh that's pretty whatever. so when was this when when did you work this was uh about six seven years ago because you know mad is defunct now yeah mad that, well, that's is, what i was gonna past, ask i put an end to mad and i i you know I put the kibosh on mad, I guess, but <laughs> for about two, three years, they've, uh, they've not been doing new magazines. They still do like specials and, uh-huh. you know, holiday stuff and they, you know, revamp stuff. And See, bring and that's, back old- that's so sad to me because mad I know, magazine it's is in- just, it's yeah, it was a an institution of comedy and, and I don't know. It's just, it seems like something that would, that should always be there. I know. I, something in my mind says it's going to be back in some form, you know. I hope People so. really loved Mad Magazine. People, and people say, well, Mad was best when I was, you know, like 12 years old. You know, that's when they think Mad was at its best. Mm-hmm. Whenever you were 12 or 13, yeah. you first got into it, that's when it was best. But, I mean, it was dynamite. It was, it was fantastic just going up to the headquarters there and meeting everybody and the history there and all the memorabilia. I mean, I, I, I grew up on it. Even Seinfeld, he said, like, when he was on the cover of Mad, he said, "Okay, now I've made it. Mm-hmm. I've been on the cover of Mad. This is it. I'm, I'm really, I'm legit." You know? Yeah. If you had, uh, if you got like a movie or a TV show parodied in Mad Mad Magazine, you made it at that point. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I loved all the artists too, like Mort Drucker and uh, Oh yeah, Al Jaffe, all those guys. Like that's yeah, just. I met Viviano, Sam Viviano, the uh, art director. He gave us a tour. I brought my kids up there. Gave a tour of the of his office and everything, and it was it's mind blowing. Mad, Mad was a mind blowing kind of credit. I thought, you know. Yeah, there was yeah. always that sort of uh, that balance between Mad Magazine and Crack. And, you know, I always gravitated more towards a Mad Magazine, especially. Just there was well, Even when I was a special. kid, I thought Crack was the mad wannabe, you know. Yeah, I, exactly. I, I could never get into <laughs> Crack for some reason. It, just, it was just not mad, you know. But it's crazy that Crack is still around as, you know, a website that does, like, you know, they do articles about, you know, Marvel movies and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I know, just, I know. They've branched off, but yeah. Well, you, you try cracked once, and then it's hard to quit. Yeah. Oh, very nice. Very nice, Jacob. There's your credit there. There's your joke. <laughs> I got one oh, in. Man, See, you I don't, you I don't know about you guys, in. but hmm? I, I'm, I'm trying to get a joke published in the Coffee News. In the you way? guys remember Coffee News? No, I don't know that. So the Coffee News was back. This was, I mean, even oh, predating still, me. They still do Coffee News. Every time I go to, like, a coffee shop or something, they yeah. have them there. But they've they've had it for like decades. It's like the little brown newspapers are like a Waffle House or a McDonald's. You okay. grab one and it has jokes on it that like you would read off the back of a Laffy Taffy or something like that. <laughs> oh, I see. It's probably like a syndicated thing. They put it in like coffee shops all over the country or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, it is. But they're yeah. so hard to find anymore because people just get them and throw them away. It had a horoscope. I don't know how many they make. It had a horoscope on one side of it, like a whole panel of a horoscope and just like dumb weird little articles on there <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah so that's how i'm trying to be guys <laughs> <laughs> i'm trying to i'm trying to be the only headliner whose credit is just the coffee news and like that's all that you get from me well, you know, um, it's funny because now you talk about like headliners and stuff now on the marquees it doesn't say like like i had a comedian on one of on one of my podcast episodes Gianmarco Ceresi like a top guy um his marquee he was playing at vinnie brands club which is the stress factory in connecticut and his marquee didn't say you know he was on the tonight show or fallon or uh kimmel or any of those shows it said giamarco seraci tiktok facebook youtube okay Mm -hmm. those are his credit those are the credits that they posted on the marquee because that's what people care about now you know, mm-hmm. social media credit, as opposed to show credits. Even. Yeah, you were oh, talking yeah. and- about Laffy Taffy jokes. I actually did one TikTok video where I did a Laffy Taffy joke, and I just laughed hysterically, like yeah. as hard as I could laugh after saying. That's my most 
spewed TikTok video. It's just that well, stupid video. Perfect for TikTok, right? Perfect for TikTok. <laughs> so how many views you get on that? Oh, God. That was over a thousand views in like a day wow, wow. on just that wow. one. Awesome, awesome. But uh, do you still do stand-up or do you more? Yeah, you know, I was very lucky. I, I was asked to perform at the Friars Club in New York City last December. So I flew up. I, I live in Florida now, but I flew back up to New York just for that, mm -hmm. just to do that. Because just to be able to say, hey, I played the Friars Club, you know. Oh, yeah. I've written for yeah. Friars Roast before. I've written for uh, two roasts for them, uh, Pat Cooper and Matt Lauer for their, those roasts. But I had never performed at the Friars Club. And actually, it's closed since then. So it's possible that I may have performed for the last show at the Friars Club. Damn, ever. you shut down Thank the Friars so, Club so now, and now Mad really Magazine. Glad, <laughs> now I'm really glad I went. <laughs> you yeah. shut down the Friars Club and Mad Magazine. So. Imagine, like kissing death, Jesus. <laughs> so when you do, don't book me for anything, don't book me. Right? How do you feel like the something that? You know, for me and Jacob, uh, Jacob has been attacked on stage before. You, you've you seen all the Multiple videos times. online of people getting attacked on stage. Do you feel like comedy's entering like a weird, dangerous era right now with just, I don't know, the way the, just the way that. Oh, oh yeah. Well, Jacob, were you physically attacked? Actually? Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah. What, what came at you? What was thrown at you or what, what, what happened? So, I mean, this was multiple instances like people will there was a couple of times where people waited until after the show and then came outside where I was just minding my own business, talking to my buddies. And then they have like a problem with some joke I said that has nothing to do with them. And then they start a fist fight. Uh, There's this one guy, though, who he came up and threw a water at me and talked about how he's going to kick my ass and all this stuff and then rushed the stage up. Because his people were all being loud, so I was making fun of them to other people. Well, you know, it's always something with COVID and alcohol and unemployment and misery and everything. It's a bad combination of things recently. But um, a few years ago, I was at a show in New York. My friend, my friend Todd Montesi was on Crashing. He has a show in New York every week, and uh, the guy before me had a, a metal chair thrown at him that missed him by like six inches. Wow. And then I went up and I had to perform and we had to actually run the guy out of the club because it was not a good situation. Yeah, it's gotten a little out of hand. I mean, there's something to upset every you know, somebody in the audience. No matter what you can say these days, some someone's gonna get pissed at something. It just feels like people go to comedy shows now specifically to get pissed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or to unlash their uh you know their vitriol or anger. Do you think Don Rickles would have survived in this comedy climate right now? Yeah, you, know, you bring up a very good point. A lot of the old, you know, a lot of comedians from the past would not be able to do the stuff that they did. It's as simple as that. We're entering a new kind of era where you have to look for different ways to be funny. You know, eventually, in a way, it's possible that roasting may even um, become obsolete. You know, because of just the insult nature of roasting, it has to roasting has to be insulting, but you know, with good humor. Uh, there has to be a good joke involved. You can't just be mean. And I'm thinking about one famous comedian who I was on a roast with. I won't name her, but she did a she did a roast joke that was just mean, and everybody turned on her on the panel. And it was one of the famous Comedy Central roasts, but I, I, I don't want to say who it was. But um, so the point is, you know, you can't just be mean. You have to, it has to, it's got to be some funny bite to it as well. But I, look, the old, the old roast comedians, they did, they did good roast jokes. And even those are becoming unacceptable to a lot of people. Yeah, but you know, the, the thing about a good <laughs> roast is it's, it's done with an underlying love for that person. That's the point. You see, that's really the crux of it. Like I was, I wrote for the Shatner roast, and yeah, it, Shatner is loved and hated, but yeah. underneath it all, he's basically loved. Okay, mm -hmm. like people make fun of his acting ability and all kinds of stuff about him, but um, when you get to the core, like you say, the person has to be someone that we admire, you know, on some level, you know. So. Yeah, it's very uh, tricky as to who is selected to be roasted, you know. 
for sure. Yeah, yeah I, think you definitely I think what you're saying gets to the core of it, though, Jason, that there has to be uh, an underlying respect and or love for the for the roasty. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely getting more and more difficult to kind of try to like lightly roast a heckler or something like that. Because that used to be everyone's go to is just kind of roast the heckler, get the crowd to laugh at them. But now it's like, even though that person's being mean and, and they're distracting everybody, that's just going to put fuel on the fire. Like, you know, you, it's almost like you can't even really get get away with trying to shut down a heckler anymore. You got well, to just stop is, the show and kick come, them out. Hecklers, hecklers come with their friends and relatives. It's not just the heckler yeah. that you get back <laughs> at. True. It's like, you know, my whole entourage, you know, that you're getting back at. So, you know, they're going to side with the with the heckler, not you. True. An, an intrinsic problem of live comedy these days for sure yeah yeah it's, it's it, it, i don't know it got to the point where after jacob got attacked a couple of times and you know i've had to deal with hecklers before it just kind of got i don't know it's just not really fun anymore so it's i only i've only gotten on stage maybe once in the last couple of months and i can't really find that 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 fire to to get back on stage again and work on you know new stuff and look and nobody's immune from it because it happened to chris rock right yeah exactly so no one is immune you can't protect yourself in any way um so i guess we just have to all just decide if we're going to get over it or not look the majority of the audience audiences and the people in the audiences are nice and they're not going to do things like that so, yeah. I mean, if somebody gets too drunk and they're, you know, that's why we have security at some of these places as well. But I, I, I will say that I had a um, a show the other night that was at a dive bar with bars on the windows and, and there was a um, drink minimum and I was the only comedian. It was mostly bands performing and uh, it was one of the, the best shows that I've had in a while just because everyone agreed that we're into this show. We want to watch this comedian, even though we signed up to see music. And, you know, it, it, I feel like if, if people just agree that they want to see you, then that you can turn it, turn it around, even if it's not your crowd. Yeah. Well, I've had famous situation, famous comedians in your situation, famous comedian friends who um, have had the opposite result with that. You know, they've opened for big famous bands and the only thing the audience is, want from you is to get off the stage mm-hmm. so the uh, as a matter of fact even i was once in atlantic city you know i've written for artie lang you know from the stern show mm-hmm. and i was once down in atlantic city with artie and there was a guy opening for him and the people just wanted artie and that was that i mean you could have been george carlin up there before artie it didn't it wouldn't have mattered the people wanted what they wanted and i, I felt bad for the guy but he just had to go through his set and get the hell off you know make way for artie just the way it was, you know. It, it depends on the crowd. There's all kinds of variables involved here. But uh, I think your love for comedy has to supersede, though, your fear of, you know, some guy possibly throwing something at you. I mean, what's really going to happen? You know, hopefully you're not going to have a dime bag Daryl situation, right? Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, cool. <laughs> that is the worst thing that could happen. Let's exactly. be fair. <laughs> exactly. That's the worst thing that could happen. It's not, you know, those things. That happened once, you know. Yeah. So what's but, you work? You've done so much work. Uh, what's the your most favorite thing you've ever worked on? Uh, good, good question, Jason. Didn't it all sound like a third grader asked it? Well, you know, <laughs> the first big thing that I ever did was getting onto the Howard Stern show with my character. I had a character named Fruity Nutcake Rap and Granny, who's this old white woman doing rap. And uh, I wrote a lot of stuff for her and set up a website for her back in the day when websites were first starting out and had an answering machine for her in my office. And a few months after I set all this stuff up, I got a call from uh, the Howard Stern Show. So, you know, look, it's the biggest radio show in the world. So being involved with that on any level, and trust me, my level was not a big level. It was a small level. I wrote for this character and I wrote for actually four roasts on the show. So my role was not a, you know, tremendous role on the show, but I was involved. I mean, we did about 10, 12 appearances, uh, 
on the show. So I was up there a lot. Everybody on the show knows me. And, um, you know, so that's got to be, if you look at it, my career, that's got to be the, uh, you know, the major accomplishment for me, I would think. Well, and that led to other things. I mean, when you get on the Howard Stern show, other doors open, you know, Comedy Central, then the Friars Club, Mad Magazine. And I just recently wrote a book, um, a joke book with some friends of mine. One of them is from the Stern show. His name is Mike Morse. And uh, we wrote this book called Ha Ha History. And uh, what it is, it's a joke for every day of the year. From January 1st to December 31st, we went back to the beginning of recorded history. And we would find some historical event and then make a joke about it. So uh, that's been a fun thing. That's a great you know, I did idea. that with my friends. And, and actually, it, it, it hit number one on Amazon for new joke books at the end of January. So that was that was really a very gratifying kind of thing because, you know, you do all your projects, right? We all have these projects and stuff. We don't know what's going to happen with them. If anything at all is going to happen. And we worked on this thing for a year. And we wrote hundreds and hundreds of jokes, you know, like multiple jokes for each date of the year. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I edited the book, got, you know, 366 of the best jokes and uh, looked on Amazon. It was like doing well. So that's been gratifying. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the most gratifying thing is the thing you're doing right now, because everything in the past, it's like you've done it already. And, you know, you got to move on. You know, you're, you're creative people. So, you know, that, you know, once you create something, you've created it. And, you know, most of stand-up comedy, a lot of it is topical and throwaway. Like, I, I've written, like, many, many, you know, probably thousands of monologue jokes for various venues, right? Mm-hmm. And monologue jokes are good for, you know, a day, two days, whatever, the week, right? So you just got to keep on going. You have to you have to create the next thing. So that's what's the most gratifying thing. The, the next thing is the most gratifying thing, I guess. Well, I was going to ask you, you brought up the Howard Stern show, um, how that show worked. Like, you worked on, like, skits-type stuff, right? Not really. I, You know, I wrote for this character, so they knew that I would bring in stuff. Rapping Granny was on the show a few times a year, so I would write her rap lyrics for her. And, you know, she did some various special events for the show. We, like, we went down to this... Uh, this strip club in New York called Scores. Yeah, and they I remember you talked about that all the time, Scores. Oh, yeah. So, so yeah. So we were down there. We had a blast there. We, you know, all the strippers were there. They closed the club. And we just had, like, a big party with pizza and everything. And, and you know, a few of the strippers. We did some uh, yeah, Beetlejuice from the Howard Stern show was there. And, um, <laughs> you know, they dressed wrapping Granny up. And uh, we, did, we did some various uh, video tricky kind of things with, with the strippers and her and it was just a fun day, you know? So, um, yeah, so we did some special events with, with rap and granny and, you know, Howard has boxing events and stuff. So we went to some of those with her. And so, you know, it was fun doing stuff with rap and granny, but I knew I had to get beyond writing for an old woman if I wanted to have any kind of career in comedy. Right. So, um, I have to give a shout out to Reverend Bob Levy, the comedian, Bob Levy, because he was running the roasts at the Stern show. Uh, at the time, several years ago. And I wanted to go beyond writing for her. And I asked him if I could get involved with some other stuff on the show and he let me do it. So that opened a lot of doors for me to be able to, you know, do stuff with Artie and uh, and write for the other roasts on the show. I wrote for the Andy Dick roast and the Gary uh, Delabate roast and also the Ronnie, uh, the limo driver roast. So, you know, I had to make my own breaks and you know, have to weave around. and Like, you never know in show business. I was talking with another guy the other day. Kevin Bartini is his name. And he is a guy who's uh, been a warm-up comedian for many major shows, like The Daily Show, you know, Colbert and uh, and Jon Stewart. And, um, you know, many other shows in New York, especially. And he said that your career is like a lattice. It's not like a ladder straight up. It's like you go from here to here to side to side. You, you know, you dip and you weave around, you know. You go where it takes you. You know, like you never know where you're going to go. Like, like if you think you're uh, talented in comedy, fine. But you don't know where that's going to lead you to. You know, yeah. you don't know if you're going to be the lead writer on the Ellen show. You know, you never dreamed of. You don't wake up and say, oh, you know, someday I'm going to be the, the head writer on Ellen or something like that. Or, you know, or write for Mad Magazine or whatever it is. Or, you know, write for some show like Ghosts on ABC. You don't know where how it's going to go. So you you go where it takes you. As opposed to my other career, like I'm a medical doctor. So if you go to med school, 
you know, you know you're going to be a doctor, right? If you don't flunk out, you're going to be a doctor, right? That's yeah. how it is. But this is so much different. And you just have to go where it takes you and, you know, hope you get some good breaks. And, you know, so, and, you, and you can't do it for money. Because, so, you know, practically nobody makes a lot of money in this. Yeah. You got to do it because you really like to do it. And so you went ahead people. and got the doctorate so you wouldn't disappoint your parents when you told well, them. Well, this you is were true. And I'll tell you something. It makes it, <laughs> and also, to be honest with you, it made it a lot easier to do comedy. Because mm-hmm. if you don't have to worry about paying your rent, you know, it allows you to be more creative, I think. Or at least it, it did for me, you know. So did you get a lot of jokes out of people stuffing stuff up their butts and getting stuck? <laughs> ah, you know, there are medical jokes, but. I didn't. I never really relied on that too. I never really like delved into the medical joke category that much. I mean, there are books on doctor jokes, like ten thousand doctor jokes. You know, I never really. I just sort of went where uh, where the assignment was. You know, whatever yeah. the assignment was. Like that's that's something I'm pretty decent at. I mean, if you give me an assignment, like write twenty jokes about Farrah Fawcett or something like that. You know, or uh, you know about uh, whomever or whatever situation, I seem to be able to come up with jokes quickly. That, that that that's something I can do. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned going from on the on the Howard Stern show from writing for the 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 granny to going to the roasts. Uh, did you have any experience with roasts before that? Did it kind of come naturally, or were you just you know a good writer and you you saw well, an opportunity to make well, some jokes? Well, that's a good question. It goes back. It really goes back to my childhood. When I, because uh, I thought about this a lot, like how did I get into writing for roasts? And actually, I'm pretty good at it. To, tell you, to be honest, I got to tell you, I've written some damn good roast jokes. Um, like for the Matt Lauer roast, for instance, Katie Couric was on the panel, and she wanted to know a little known. She wanted us to write little known facts about Matt Lauer, and the line I came up with was that he loves to eat curry. Okay, now this is Ann Curry who was up on the dais with him. So 1,500 people hit the deck. And that that line was like, that's probably my, my most famous roast line. It was in the New York uh, Daily News the next day and page six and the Village Four. It was everywhere. So, okay, getting back to your question, though, I think being a good roast writer is due to the fact that when I was a kid, I was very, oh, I still am, but I was very short, okay? And I had to kind of defend myself with with words, you know? And back then, there was no such thing as roasts. We called it, in New York anyway, we called it ranking out. Like, we would rank each other out. Like, kids would, like, insult each other. There would be rank outs, you know? And I got very good at that. So I think that that's the origin of my being able to write for roasts. Because that's it's the same thing. You know, you find somebody, and you find a weak point about them, and you try to make it funny, and you have a roast joke, you know? So that, that's how I got it. I think that's why I, I know how to write roast jokes. We got to tell you guys about B-Res Coffee Company. That's right. B-Res Coffee is a small business established here on the Gulf Coast that was created for gamers by gamers. Whatever kind of coffee you like, they got you covered. Like the out-of-this-world chocolate and caramel flavored roast. Or the Two Hardies One Ship, which is a rum and dark chocolate flavored roast. You can even get your very own Open Micers Roast of Coffee. So if you like us, you'll like this dark roast too. So head over to brezcoffeeco.com and use our code OMPODCAST for 10% off of your order. And so going from the Howard Stern show to something like Comedy Central, I mean, what is it that that interested you enough to keep doing it? Or, or did you just kind of fall into it and keep doing it because it presented itself to you? Right. Well, I wanted to go even just like I wanted to get beyond rap and granny. I wanted to get beyond the Howard Stern show. So I would find out um, about deuses on Comedy Central roasts and contact various people. And, you know, I knew people already. So I was able to um, make connections to be able to write for different people um, on deuses at Comedy Central. And then that proceeded to the Friars Club because, you know, the Friars Club are really the original classic roasts, you know, the old Dean Martin roast those things. So I was very happy to, I was very happy also to write for the Friars Club. My first one for them was for Pat Cooper, Italian comedian who's actually on the Stern show a lot. And uh, so, yeah, that was kind of thrilling to me too, to be involved with that. So uh, yeah, like I said, one thing led to another. One thing I wanted to ask about how the, the, the Stern show worked, Uh, you know, you had Howard and Robin, 
And then you had somebody like um, uh, Jackie the Joke Man sitting like in between them. And he was constantly, like, was he writing jokes on the fly and giving to them on whatever topic they were talking about? Or how did his job actually work? Do you know how that worked for the show? Well, what I know about it is that he definitely was writing jokes on the fly, as does Benji Bronk, you know, and the guys they have now. Because Howard would talk about something, and then a minute later, you could tell that he would... It was he was handed a piece of paper or a message in on some in some kind of format, and had the joke, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, every a lot of stuff was done on the fly. Absolutely, sure. I mean, they have scripted things too. You know, they have not totally scripted, but they have meetings about all kinds of topics they're going to do, and you know, things Fred would do like. Um, all kinds of skits that he would do. Like he would do this thing called guess who's the Jew. So they would, you know, ask you like um, among two, three people, who's the Jew and stuff like that. So, you know, a lot of stuff was not on the fly. It was, it was planned. It was scripted. Yeah. So, I mean, there are guys there. I mean, Sal and Richard spend all day there working on bits. So they have bits that are pre-planned. It's, you know, it's, it's a beautiful show because, you know, Howard's one of the best comedians on the planet. If you think about it, four hours a day. I mean, he doesn't do five days a week anymore. Fine. But yeah, one time he did four or more hours a day. He would always go over his time limit anyhow uh, for about five days a week. He got 20 hours of content every single week or, you know, most weeks of the year. Yeah. And it was always funny and it always flowed very well. It didn't feel forced, you know. So it does take a lot of planning for something like that. It just doesn't happen out of thin air. You know? Well, of course, when he, he surrounded himself with, the, the cast of characters that he had as well. Like, I mean, he's always making fun of Gary who, you know, brought a lot of it on himself, you know, and of course he had Jackie right. and. Right. Well, he cultivated a crew that he could make fun of. And, <laughs> but again, like when you roast somebody, you, you make fun of them, but you love them. So, you know, he obviously likes Gary. He likes, he likes all the crew around him, mm. but he's able to, you know, he's given license to goof on them because he likes them. Yeah. You know, he has, he's given permission in some way because, you know, they're like family to him. So it's like goofing on your own family, essentially, after all these years. Yeah. So I, I, I hate to keep harping on the same thing, but yeah. I'm curious. Well, you will. Know. You will, Jacob, anyway. <laughs> but I will. I hate to do Go it, ahead. but I will. Um, so the Howard Stern show was known for, like, just being just edgy, the forefront of comedy, starting new things, taking risks. I'm curious to know, like, what what were the writers at that show like? What, what was the writing room like? Was there any jokes that that were too far, too past the envelope that got shot down? Or were y'all kind of being pushed to, you know, get edgier? Well, the answer is I don't know, because I was I'm not I was not a, an employee of the Howard Stern show, really. I was not really an employee of the Howard Stern show. I was sort of like a I was like a freelance person who kind of just kind of latched onto the show. You know, was lucky enough to do stuff with the show. But, um, I mean, look, nothing was really off limits. I mean, you've seen some of the stuff they've done, with yeah. craptaculars and, <laughs> you know, um, all kinds of sexual stuff that, you know, are famous now. So, I mean, what, what really was off limits? Yeah. Nothing. Right. You know, people talk about when they went to uh, Sirius, you know, being able to use any kind of language, you know, how much it would open up the show. But some people think that, you know, not being able to use the language made it better because you had to be funnier. Hmm. So, you know, there's a dichotomy on that. There's yeah. a debate on, on, I mean, what do you guys think? You think the show has been better since Sirius or before, before Sirius? I'll be honest. I haven't listened to it since it moved to Sirius. I, I, I've see, never had Sirius radio. So, Well, you see, that's a big thing. A lot of, Stern fans, you know, they listened in their cars for free. And then, I mean, especially since COVID, when people stopped going to work even, a lot of people um, did not follow the show, but then they picked up a lot of, you know, millions of other listeners. Because every time you get a new car, you get free serious for a while. Mm -hmm. So, the, so the, the listenership, I think, is different. You know, it shifted somewhat. Because a lot of people will say what Jason just said about you know, leaving the Stern show after they went to Sirius. 
Well, I, I, I honestly think Howard missed a huge opportunity by not, I mean, going to Sirius, you know, was a good business, I guess, decision for him, but to talk down about podcasts and not take advantage of his name, his show, who he was, and move that show to a podcasting platform to where, like, like Joe Rogan, you know, his show is huge, you know, millions of people that listen to it every, you know, every week. I think, I think Howard probably could have done way better currently if he had jumped on the podcast bandwagon. Well, do you mean way better than the hundred million dollars a year he makes? I think he could have made more with if he would have oh. taken a deal with Spotify for podcasting, like Joe Rogan did, who made what like you know a couple hundred million with his deal. I think he would have probably made way more money than anybody. Well, you know, Howard's a billionaire essentially at this point. He's sixty-eight years old, so he's not forty or thirty. Yeah, and you know. He's got everything in life, every material thing you could have in life, and he's happily married to Beth. And I guess he just figured, you know, I'll go. Oh, what's wrong with rolling with this? You know. Yeah, I don't you think know, he's missing out. On podcasts are just radio anyway. When you come right down to it, mm -hmm. what are what are podcasts but radio? Exactly. How, how different are they really? I mean, I mean, they're they're presented to people. People listen to them in different on different kind of instruments maybe or different ways but mm -hmm. basically radio right yeah, yeah. I, I mean podcasts I'm, are really just uncensored radio all the time right it's just but, uncensored radio and then and, and howard has uncensored radio on Sirius. Mm -hmm. yeah and there is something to what you you said earlier though about being censored in a way does make you funnier uh we talked to uh jonathan mangum who people might know from whose line is it anyway and we asked him about sort of the jokes that get shot down on that show. And the fact that you have to go around what you're trying to say, you can't just go outright and say it, makes it funnier because you have right. to come up with an innuendo. You have to come up with an analogy that right. everyone knows what you're talking about, but you can't just say, can't say you know, the dirty thing that you're trying to yeah. say. Well, I'll give you another example. I am now the um, comedy writer in residence for an organization. It's a nonprofit called Comedy Cures. So they do events for patients and caregivers like all over the world, for like 20 years. And we put out jokes, like holiday jokes, let's say, like weird holiday jokes. But you can't be dirty. You can't be offensive. It really, doing a project like that trains you to be funnier mm -hmm. because you can't curse. You can't insult anybody. Every group, you can't insult, insult an ethnic group or these kind of sick people or, you know, whatever. There's a million things you can't do, which means what you have to do has to be funnier, you know? So I think that's a good maybe training exercise for people to, to, not, um, to not use bad language, let's say. So do you agree with me on this? Because this is the kind of comic that I've always tried to be. I've always tried to be where if you book me, I can give you the squeakiest clean kids party a room full of 10 year olds material or i can go into a whole aristocrats bit that's as dirty as you know bob saget or gilbert godfrey like right. do you think it's important for a comic to have both of those muscles and kind of in between as well absolutely i mean you're just talking about being a versatile performer so you know what about versatility is bad nothing it just shows you're a better performer if you can adapt you know, you don't want to like lose your morals, your, your you know, all your convictions about everything, but mm. you should be able to adapt, I think, to an audience, you know, to a particular venue or audience or situation. And the good and the good comedians do that. You know, comedians do corporate, you know, famous comedians do corporate stuff and they're limited in corporate events, you know, by lots, you know, in lots of ways. And they do, you know, x-rated stuff and they do uh parties you know private parties and things so yeah i think it just speaks to your uh talent if you can do what you're saying that you do yeah. that you adapt yeah hundred percent. good work good work <laughs> good work kid you're gonna make it far in this <laughs> you're gonna make it, hey. 
Yeah, I just I feel like there's a lot of people out there who kind of beat the clean comedy drum to death. And you go to certain markets, especially down here in the South. Like, I mean, you can well, be where, the are you where are you actually located? So we're in the we're in the Gulf Coast of Mississippi. Oh, wait. So I know that area, I think. So like um, about Biloxi. Lafayette. Oh, no, no, that, no, no. Lafayette is. Uh, um, yeah, we're east of Lafayette. But Lafayette, that's not Mississippi, though, right? No, Lafayette's Louisiana. Louisiana, that's right. So you know, like Gulfport, is yeah. that in? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, okay, I know that area. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah. yeah. And see, I've, I found personally myself around here, like, unless you're doing a specific kind of event where you have to, to do clean comedy, like, if you're just doing a normal show, the kind of audience down here, they love, like, gritty, dark, dirty humor. And we've seen comics time and time again try to go up there with a solidly written joke that doesn't have any, you know, cursing or bodily fluids in the punchline and it just completely bombs because that's not really what everyone's after yeah well you know in this age of the internet you can if you have other material you're able to project that other place you know there are other venues for your all your all your kind of material right i mean you know you're not stuck to doing just live shows in the south there's all kinds of things you can all kinds of places you can take your wares, right? For sure, especially with, with uh, TikTok being the biggest credit Absolutely. right now that you can put on a billboard. I looked at TikTok's top nine earners, okay? The top two are these sisters who are dancers. You yeah. know, I didn't know anything about them, but, you know, guys your age do, and they're zillionaires. And, oh, yeah, uh, I know them. Yeah. You know who they are, right? <laughs> yeah, Addison Ray and her sister, I think. That's, that's right. So, you know, it's a whole new world out there. It's a whole new world out there for the taking. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've known guys who have come through here before with just literally nothing but a, but a, a few thousand TikTok followers. And, you know, the venues love them because they just they completely sell out. Even though their comedy is probably not that great, they put all the butts in seats and sell all the tickets. And that's really what the industry is about. I guess though the issue is though how many times can you do that? You know, can you make a out of that? The, you know, in the end analysis, the material I guess has to be there. I mean, you can be a you can be an internet sensation, but that you know you might wind up a flash in the pan if you don't have the material to really back it up over time, right? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, we we can name names on who's done that, but we won't. <laughs> well, the famous name is you know, I mean, Dane Cook or you know. Right. Yeah. Chris Catan, TJ Miller. Yeah, those guys. <laughs> sell out sell out one show and then they come back and then don't sell any tickets because they were bad. Yeah. yeah. I gotta mention one guy though. We we took on our team, the Haha History team. We took on this guy named Jason Scoop. And you gotta look this guy up because he's I would say he's the best impressionist in the country. And he's a fantastic comedian. He won Dana Carvey's uh TV contest called First Impressions a few years ago. You know Dana Carvey, right? For mm-hmm. Saturday Night Live, right? So this guy is amazing. And now we're having him on TikTok and YouTube. Every day he's doing a joke from the book Haha History as a different uh, celebrity. And he can do any celebrity you name, he can do. From right. Seinfeld to Bill Cosby to, you know, Trump, Biden, Bernie Sanders, uh, Christopher Walken, down the line. You got, you must. Check out this guy, Jason Scoop. He's fantastic. Okay. Yeah, 100%. We'll check him out. Yeah, we're bringing uh, Aha History to life with him every day. So you want to hear a few books from the book just to see what this book's all about? Yeah, please. Yeah, let's try to sell some copies of the book. Yeah, why not? You know, and it's not, you know, yeah, sell copies of the book. The thing about this book is that it's such a fun project. You know, it's like you're working with your friends and, you know, you get to hand out a book. And like I was at dinner with my family tonight, signed a few books for my cousins and stuff. That's really the cool thing about it. I mean, you know, how much how much money is a book going to make if you're not James Patterson, you know, or Stephen King? You're not going to make, not going to change your life, but it's just yeah. fun, you know? That's what this has to be. I guess that's the big message that I want to give to, I guess, young comedians, you know? You got to have fun with this stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah. Point, if you're not going to have fun with it, become a plumber and make more money, you know? That's true. It's got to be a passion project. What's it really name? has to be. What was the name of the book again? I'm going to look it up on Okay, I'll, I'll show you. It's called Ha Ha History. 
Okay. So it's a joke every day based on a historical event. So it's on Amazon and Kindle and all that stuff. Oh, it's, you can get it on Kindle for free if you have a Kindle. Yes, you see, if yeah, I found out that, like, I don't read. My wife reads a lot, but I don't. But I found out that if you have a Kindle Unlimited account, it's 10 bucks a month, and then you can, like, click on all the books you want. Mm-hmm. So, so I guess that's how we got to number one joke book, because people just clicked on it because they were getting they were paying the 10 bucks a month anyhow, so. Why not? Well, I will put this. So, so I'll, read you, I'll at least give you an idea what this book's all about. So, okay, April nineteenth, nineteen seventy-one. Charles Manson is sentenced to life in prison. The sentence is literally the only thing Manson isn't crazy about. Okay. <laughs> well, like my friend Jackie Mason used to say, "Mister, all this is jokes." Hello, <laughs> <laughs> hello, all this is jokes. All right, June 7th, 1993. Rock icon Prince celebrates his birthday by changing his name to an unpronounceable symbol. Ironically, the symbol is always drawn correctly on his Starbucks cup. <laughs> Actually, you know, Mike Morris, who was on the Stern Show with me, he, um, he's a great illustrator, too. He illustrated most of this book. Let me just show you that illustration for that joke. Some of the jokes have illustrations. Oh, where is it? April 19th. Where is it? Why is it? Uh-oh. All right, check that. Maybe the date was wrong. Okay, anyway, here's another one. August 17th, 1953. First meeting of Narcotics Anonymous in, South- in Southern California. Widely hailed as a breakthrough in giving dealers a way to find customers. <laughs> <laughs> I might have to use a laugh track. You guys are- <laughs> <laughs> right, I, I, I wrote this one. I like this joke actually myself. December 11th, okay, 2014. Surgeons in South Africa performed the world's first penis transplant. They claim that they would have done a testicles transplant too, but unfortunately, we just didn't have the balls to do it. This <laughs> gives you an idea of, of what I do with my life. These, you know, I hang around my friends writing jokes like that. Sounds like the perfect life to have. It's not bad, I'll tell you. It's not so bad. There are worse fates in life than this. <laughs> so, so, do you, you guys work during the day? You have any outside jobs, or this is your life now? Well, Podcasting and comedy. We uh we both have day jobs, but uh, uh-huh. you know aspirations of comedy writing and stand up and uh just hopefully the podcast will explode one day like Joe Rogan's and we'll have millions of downloads every day. But for now, we're pretty comfortable right, right where we're at. Yeah, I mean you yeah. keep at it and you build up the archives, and that's all you can do, you know. Yeah, I mean, my big plan is to just put Jason's face on everything and then hope that everyone just thinks it's Joe Rogan and click on it. <laughs> that's that's how, a plan. That's, Sounds like a plan to me. Yeah, that's our big get-rich-quick scheme. Uh-huh. No, I'm actually an assistant special ed teacher during the day. Uh-huh. So I'm, I've been getting a lot of material lately from having to do all that. Have you guys heard of a podcast called Are You Garbage? I have. I love Are You Garbage? See, guys, these guys were like apparently just unknown guys in the, in Brooklyn mm-hmm. and just did I don't know what, and now you've heard of them. So, right. Well, next year, it, people will have heard of Jason and Jacob, right? 100%. I mean, yeah, those guys were grinding forever. They've been doing that podcast for at least three years because you look at their backlog and they've been doing this great podcast with these legitimate comedians forever. And then some, they found some kind of formula to do with the social media, and then boom, they just they blew up, and now they're everywhere. Right, and look, you guys obviously love comedy, so I think you'll find your hook into you know a similar venue, a similar uh, track. I bet you just got to keep it at it. See, that's the thing is, is trying to find that uh, that social media hook. To 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 get people into the show because you know doing podcasts now it, it it's really hard to get people to to notice your show and you know the key is consistency and we we've been doing this solid for what the uh, 
How many years now, Jacob? Uh, coming up on three years. We're almost at episode one fifty. So yeah, we started there. We started this this podcast because of the pandemic. We, you know, all the the mic shut down and everything, so we had nowhere to do comedy. So we were like, well, let's do a podcast every week and let's talk to comedians and stuff. And so that's how we started the show. And of course, everybody else and their mother started a a podcast too around the same time. So you know, you got to claw and fight these days to to get the 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 ears to your show. Yeah, Neil Berliner is on your podcast and none of the others. So you got me somehow. We're winning. (laughs) We're winning. (laughs) We're doing it. Yep. Uh, Neil, do you have a podcast of your own? Yeah, I have a podcast with the owner of the Broadway Comedy Club and um, Greenwich Village Comedy Club. His name is Al Martin. He's a longtime New York comedian, very successful guy. He's now the senior comedy club owner in Manhattan because Caroline's just closed. See, all the big clubs in New York, well, not all of them, but many of them have bitten the dust. Um, Catch a Rising Star, Dangerfields, Caroline's, the Improv used to be in New, you know, in Manhattan. So now Al Martin's like the king of Manhattan comedy clubs. And he's well-deserved. I mean, he's a hard-working guy from Brooklyn. Another, another example of a guy who stuck it out for years and years and years, you know, and he's the last man standing and doing very well. So, uh, yeah, so we our, our podcast is called Stand Up Taller because I'm really short and he's really tall. And <laughs> our hook, I guess, well, we can get, you know, we can get known guests. Like, we get guys like we've had Eddie Brill and we had Gianmarco Saraci on a few weeks ago, um, Jackie the Joke Man, you know, from the Stern Show, Jackie Martin that we've had on. And I'm getting my friend Tom Cotter. Do you know Tom Cotter? I've heard the name. Tom. I've heard. Mm-hmm. Well, Tom was the guy on America's Got Talent who lost to the Dog Act. He would have won a million dollars first prize. He would have been the first comedian to win America's Got Talent, but he lost to this Dog Act. Oh. That, that became his. Uh, I mean, he's a fantastic comedian. I'm, I'm, I'm real proud of myself because I booked him years before he was famous from that. You know, he's just a great comedian. But anyway, that's the level of comedians we were able to get because. You know, we have some connections, and Al knows everybody for years, you know, having booked everybody at his clubs. And another hook we have in our show is to give a tip every week to comedians, like stand-up tip of the week. So you might want to incorporate something like, you know, like incorporate your personal experience in comedy and how you can help, you know, guys on the way up. Well, give us a tip right here. Give us a tip. I'll give you a very good tip, okay, Um, for joke writing. What's the biggest mistake people make when they write a joke? What do they do? Um, there, there are two major things that come up all the time. And trust me, it comes up with very experienced, you know, very well-known professional comedians too. Because I've written, I've written for people at all levels, not just, you know, starting comedians. I've written for famous people. And, you know, when I punch up material, this happens again and again and again. There are two things that people do wrong when they write jokes. These are the major two. Um, too many words in the joke, unnecessary words, okay? And the other thing is people don't put, put, put the punchline at the end. They bury it in the middle of the joke. And when you do that, you see, the audience has a very limited time span to, to comprehend the joke, like a millisecond that you have to catch, okay? So if you bury the punchline and keep talking, the keep talking part is not the funny part. And that's what they're going to latch on to, and they're not going to laugh. So you have to ask yourself, with every joke that you write, what is the punch? And I call—I don't even call it a punchline in my class. I call it a punch word. It's usually one word, maybe two, okay? So that's the joke. That, that's what's funny about the joke. You have to ask yourself, what is funny about this joke? Is it, you know, that the person's from St. Louis or that it's a colostomy bag, okay? Usually it's going to be that it's a colostomy bag. Yeah. Not St. Louis. Although St. Louis, if you've ever been there. <laughs> I have. <laughs> okay, so you know what I'm talking about. But anyway, um, the point is, know your punchline mm-hmm. and know where to put it and get rid of the other shit that you don't need. Because there's so much superfluous stuff in people's jokes. It's, 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 it's unbelievable. 
Yeah. By the time you get to, if you have too many words in your joke, by the time you, time you get to the punchline, nobody even cares. They forgot what you're talking about already. So you have to deal with people's limited attention span. And, and it's not an insult to people. Everybody has limited attention span. How much they're going to put up with listening to somebody else, you know, when they're telling jokes. So you got to get to the point, put the stuff, the good stuff at the end and, and get rid of the excess verbiage. I think Those that's some great tips. advice. Yeah. My two tips for the day. <laughs> that is some great for two for one advice. I'm thanks. Thankfully, we got two tips out of you. Absolutely. So we, we got we've got the Comedy Cures Foundation. We have the Ha Ha History book. We have the Stand Up Taller podcast. Is there anything else of yours that you want to tell people about before we start heading for the door? Well, I guess the best way to reach me is at neilberlinercomedy.com. Neil, N-E-I-L, Berliner. Comedy.com. If people want me to write for them, I'm kind of, I'm so booked up now. I've been turning people away to write for them recently, but, you know, down the road, I, I'll, I'll probably have some time to write for some clients here and there. Absolutely. Well, thank awesome. you so much for coming on the podcast. We both hey guys, learned a lot having from you. Great, great having you know, great being on. I appreciate it. Well, I'm going to put all yes, these links in the uh, the the show notes. So anybody uh, has any questions or anything, they could just go look at the show notes. I got all. The, I'll have all the links in here. Awesome. So, so do you edit this at all? Like when people thump along, do you like tighten it up or you just leave it as it is? No, we just live to hard drive. Go <laughs> just go for it, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay, like, we'll when do it live. like when I couldn't think at the beginning of the show, um, the usual gang of idiots from Mad Magazine, that's what it's called, the usual gang of idiots. But I couldn't, couldn't think of that at the beginning. Well, that's a, something actually that I've talked to a lot of podcasters along the way, especially podcasters that are uh, way more, uh, you know, way bigger podcasts than me. And because I used to spend literally three hours after the show editing every little piece of the show editing out every little um every little space they're like stop doing that just make it sound like a conversation just leave it and if anything is super messed up take it out but if not just leave it and people love that when it's just a natural conversation yeah i agree with that i was on a podcast recently and it was really chopped up and it, you know you could tell i mean obviously everybody could tell that it's chopped up I, I agree with what you're doing to do it this way. So this is still, and we're talking on the podcast now still, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. absolutely. Oh, yeah. Everybody's still getting this. Yeah. Oh, man, the public is hearing all this. <laughs> They're getting it's it all, stuff. baby. <laughs> well, Neil, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure having you. I appreciate it. time, guys. Good luck to you and your careers down there. Thank you, you have so a casino much. down there in Gulfport, right? Gulfport. Casino. Oh yeah. Oh it's yeah. On like river, it's on a riverboat or something, if I remember. Oh, that that got destroyed in yeah. Katrina. <laughs> oh really? What was the name yeah. of that one? I remember that one. That one was the. I think it might be talking about the Biloxi Bell Casino. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that one got wiped out a long time ago. <laughs> I remember having to walk onto the riverboat. To, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, we have a lot of casinos now. They actually allowed them to move on to land because it used to be you could only have a casino, but it had to be on a barge. Like it couldn't be on land. That's what I remember about it. That's why. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Then the barge ended up in a building and they're like, well, let's just make it here. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Thank you so much for for hanging out with us tonight. And uh, we'd love to have you back again. Uh, in the future, awesome. talk to you more. Just get me on the schedule, I don't know, six, 12 months from now. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And uh, uh, so, Jacob, you got anything you want to plug before we, we get out of here tonight? Just that we've got a great line of guests coming in March. We're not done with February uh, yet. We've got a great local comedian from Louisiana coming up uh, next week. And we're going to have some Patreon material coming to you guys soon. So stay tuned for all that. Oh, one last thing. Do you guys know um, a comedian down there named Jen Kober? J-E-N Kober. She's from down south. I think she's around your area. I, I think I've heard of Jen Kober before. Yeah, K-O-B-E-R. Yeah, she's really good. Yeah. She out yeah, of New I, Orleans? I'm not exactly sure what town she's from, but somewhere somewhere near you guys. Hmm. I don't have to look her up. Okay. Maybe get her on the show. <laughs> Sounds good. We'll see. <laughs> awesome. Well, let's go ahead and get out of here. If you want to email us, you can email us at openmikerspodcast at gmail.com. We're at openmikers.com. You can also go to our link tree at linktree slash openmikerspodcast. That pretty much takes you everywhere. And we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash ompodcast. 
where you can support us with as little as a dollar a month. And we'll make Jacob do stupid stuff every month that you get to see. And we will see you guys next week. We're going to put clothes hangers on my nipples next month.